Lone Star 187 most definitely contains elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Unit setting up for that disturbance attack the shooter in a vehicle. Go ahead and reduce but continue. Reduce but continue at once. Go ahead. Case file 46, Andrea Yates. Yeet. So bitch. And we're back. We are back. I'm Carrie. And I'm Brittany. And, and we're, we're Lone Star 187. Bom, bom, bom. Are we on a road trip this week? We Do are. we need to like pack up the RV or we just need to pack up the the, the Forerunner? Which, we we might need to pack up the RV because it's, um we're going to Houston again. I know H-Town? H-Town. Dirty Town? Um, we know that Houston is about 250 miles due south, so we're going to need an RV, and we're going to find a really nice RV park, and we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some bonfires. Sweet. Some s'mores. Uh, population of Houston is about 7 million, which is more than Dallas. I didn't know that. Did you say 7 million? 7 million. God bless. I think it's the most populous city in Texas. Amazing. And... Something we've never done before. Usually we say some other stuff about the city. I want to let you know some people that are from, famous people that are from Houston. Okay. Do you know of any like right off the top of your head? I can't say it. Let me tell you. Everybody in ZZ Top, Frank Beard, Billy Gibbons, Dusty Hill, Beyonce. Beyonce? I, I, Beyonce I thought she was Houston. from Louisiana. She's on the Houston. Because that one song she sings, what she say? You mix that Bama with well, maybe that she moved. Maybe she moved from maybe. Houston there. But okay. it says she's from Houston. Chameleonaire? Right. No wonder it's riding dirty town. Uh, Randy and Dennis Quaid. Okay. And um, this is just to name a few. Anna Nicole Smith. And hmm. it's also the home of the uh, NASA's Johnson Space Center. Houston, we have mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. And we have a really big problem we're about to roll into right here. Oh, so, shit. Shit storm? Shit's Creek? It's, it's, uh, it's bad. Shit dome. Well, it's Andrea Yates. So I know everybody already knows this story. Mm-hmm. But I know that while I'm not a huge fan of covering stories that are have been covered by lots of other podcasts and documentaries, um, I know that our listeners like it. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I was talking to mom. Out and I had a couple of stories in mind, and I mentioned this one, and she said, "Yes, you should do that one because that that's a really good one." So we all re- already know this one, but this is from the Lone Star One Eight Seven perspective. So let's pretend like we don't know it, so it's all new, fresh. fresh so can you new. say her name again? Andrea Yates. Thank you. You're welcome. Never heard that name. Yeah, exactly. So it's a once again we're summer in Texas, so it's a Wednesday morning which is June 20th of 2001. A 911 call comes into Houston Dispatch. So here's the transcript for the 911 call. 911, what's your name? Andrea Yates. What's the problem? Um, I just need them to come. Is your husband there? No. Well, what's the problem? I need them to come. I need to know why we're coming, ma'am. Is he standing next to you? Pardon me? Are you having a disturbance? Are you ill or what? Yes, I'm ill. Do you need an ambulance? No, I need a police officer. Yes, and an ambulance. What's the problem? Um, is someone burglarizing your home? I mean, what is it? What kind of medical problem do you have, ma'am? Hello? 
I just need a police officer. Are you at this address? Yes. Are you there alone? Yes. Andrea Yates? Yes. Is your husband there with you? No. Okay, well, why do you need the police, ma'am? I just need them to be here. For what? I just need them to come. You sure you're alone? No, my sister's here. It's a very weird call. It is, and there is a portion of it online, and the way I was sounding very emotionless. that's how she was. She was very just, like it's a business transaction, very matter of fact, and so Andrea called 911. After she hung up with them, and the cops are on their way, she called her husband and said, I need you to come home. And he said, is anybody hurt? And she said, yes. And he asked, who? And she said, the kids. He says, which ones? She says, all of them. All of them. And how many were there? I'll get to that. But I'll tell you, there were five. She had five kids. So the first police officer to get there, and their address is was 942 Beachcomber. And I do have some pictures of the house. Um, They said that Andrea's clothes were dripping wet when she answered the door. The cop said, why do you need the police? She just responded, I just killed my kids. Oh, my God. He said she was very wide-eyed, like like she was in in an excited state. Um, She led the officer to a bedroom. The carpet in the hallway was so wet that when they walked on it, it made that squishy noise. So as they were walking through, the officer noticed two sets of wet footprints. One was an adult and one was a child covering the tile floor in the living room. In the bedroom, he discovered four children's bodies laying on a bed, each of them covered by a sheet. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is a tough one. He said there was a white, frothy substance coming from three of the victims' noses and mouths, which is usually an indication that their lungs had burst. I didn't know that. I didn't know what that I meant, didn't, but that's I didn't know what that they either. said. Um, so as he's looking over the bodies, Andrea's standing behind him in the doorway of the bedroom and said nothing. So they go into the bathroom and find the fifth child, Noah. He was face down in the water, and they said it was brown. So I guess that means they... Defecated. Mm-hmm. Um, and urinated too, I'm mm-hmm. sure. The officer had to go sit down in the living room because it was just too overwhelming. He went in there and called for help. Backup gets there and they get her license and she signed a consent form allowing the officers to search the rest of the house. While this is going on, her husband, whose name is Russell, but they call him Rusty. Rusty got there uh, within a few minutes of the first cop, but they wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let anybody in. So Rusty and his mom are standing outside. And Rusty's standing by the windows yelling the kids' names. And, of course, there's no response, right? Um, So he walked to a set of French doors at the back of the house, crying, very distraught, asking Andrea why he said, why did you do this? And fell to his knees crying, as his his mom did, too. It's sad. I know. This is, I'll just tell you now that, this is a good story, but it is really, really sad. Not just because of the children, but just the whole thing. Just well, and how old were the how old were the kids? Um, they ranged in ages from seven to six months. Oh my gosh! So they're babies. Yeah. The the okay. So let's talk. About, let's do some little go in the way back machine, as Joey from the Blood is Thicker would say. Um, Andrea Yates was born in July of nineteen sixty four, so she's just a year. 
older than me, um, in Hallsville, Texas. She's the youngest of five children. She graduated from, from Milby High School in Houston in 1982 as class valedictorian. I knew I was going to stumble on that fucking word. <clears throat> she graduated from Milby High School in Houston in 1982 as class valedictorian. She completed a two-year program in pre-nursing at UT Houston. She later worked as an RN at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Wow. And she was a very devout Christian. So in the summer of 1989, she met Rusty Yates at uh, Sunscape Apartments in Houston. Um, And shortly after they met, they moved in together. So they were immediately smitten with each other. So in 93, the two were married. And they purchased a four-bedroom home in Friendswood, Texas, with hopes of starting a family. That's, that was April of 93. February of 94, their first child was born. His name is Noah. His name was Noah. He was born. Shortly after he was born, they moved to Florida um, and rented a small trailer. Um, and so in December of 95, they had their second child. His name is John. Um, they had him while they still lived in Florida. And then September of 97, they had their third son. His name was Paul. Shortly after Paul was born, they moved back to Houston and purchased a GMC motorhome, which they lived in. So you've got... And didn't, like, I remember watching a documentary, and didn't, like, they say that, like, her family members were like, we didn't even know that she had kids. Like, they would see her, and they're like, oh, you had another kid. Uh, no, I don't remember that. I didn't see any of that. Because She I, was pretty close with her family when, well, like, when they I were remember, close together. Well, I remember, like, one of them was like, they came over, like, she came to see them, and she was like, surprised, or like, oh, I didn't oh, even wow. know that you... Maybe uh, that was Mary. It may have been. I because, just remember that. I mean, I remember that hitting me, like, I can't imagine, number one, keeping it from your family, like, not on purpose, but I'm sure she was just trying to get through the day, right, with survive, three maybe. or four kids already, and then for it to be just so normal to just have a kid just have another kid without any help. Like there's no way I, I only have two and it's hard enough to raise those Can two you imagine? without all the support I have. And all of these are within just, just a, almost just within a year apart. I mean, Jack and Callie are 15 months apart. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine having Can you imagine two, doing oh, that back to back for from no. 1994 to 2000, Mm-mm. six years for six Five years. Kids. You're every year you're pumping out a new kid. And I know I'm saying that it's, I know that's probably sounds mean but I mean I feel like that's what that was her anyway so when they move into this GMC motorhome in 97 she's got three kids already that are uh, uh, from three and under so three kids she and her husband in a GMC motorhome uh okay and then February 99 they had their fourth son his name was Luke um and then in November 2000 they had another child this time a little girl her name was Mary so by 2000, they've got five kids, four boys and a girl. So um, she was a good mother. She read Bible stories to her children. She made them costumes from grocery sacks. She gave them homemade Valentines on Valentine's Day with personalized coupons, promising free hugs and other treats. She was so protective of them that when she went to the grocery store, she made each of the four boys hold on to the corner of the grocery store cart while the baby girl sat in the seat in the basket. So she kept, like, they were her brood. She was, she kept a close, close eye on them. Oh, man. But there's trouble a-brewing. On June 16, 1999, Rusty found Andrea shaking and chewing her fingers. The next day, she attempted to commit suicide by overdosing on pills. Mm. She was admitted to the hospital, 
and prescribed antidepressants. Soon after her release, she begged her husband to let her die as she held a knife up to her neck. Oh my God. Once again hospitalized, she was given a mixture of medications, including Haldol, mm. which is, I think that's for schizophrenia, isn't it? Haldol is just to, is just to sedate you. Okay. It says it's an antipsychotic drug. Mm-hmm. Her condition improved immediately, and she was prescribed it, and they released her. After that, Rusty moved the family into a small house for the sake of her health, and she appeared to temporarily stabilize. So I guess getting out of that little tiny house, that little motor home, um, and being prescribed these medications helped her. So in July of 99, so just a month later, she had a nervous breakdown, which she had two more suicide attempts and two more hospitalizations that summer. So she was finally diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. Ooh. So it took several months for them to figure out what was wrong. Um, while she was in this facility, she told um, her psychiatrist that she, the reason she wanted to kill herself is that she thought it would be better to end her own life to prevent what she was thinking. She said there was a voice in her head, and after the voice, there's an image of a knife. And then in her mind, she's got the knife, and she just has a vision of a person being stabbed. She doesn't isn't specific about who it is. I'm just amazed that he was okay with her being home alone with him after so many suicide attempts. I agree. You know, like I'd be like, clearly you're mentally unstable. How can so I help? let's take the stress off of you, put them in daycare, or maybe you go to work and I stay home or something. For the safety of my of our kids, you know, and her too. I mean, yeah. I mean, if he's obviously she can't help it. But no, that's the thing. It's like she's not choosing to be this way. This he is already just... seems somewhat selfish, obviously. Yeah. But even if he wanted to take the selfish route and say, "I'm worried about the kids. I don't really care about you," with as sad as he was to see what happened to his kids, you think he would have been like, "Maybe you're not the best babysitter for these kids, right. or not babysitter, but you're not the best person for them to be you, with." You need help. You need supervision. Yeah. Her psychiatrist was, her name was Dr. Eileen Starbranch. Um, she warned Andrea and Rusty that they need to consider Andrea's well-being before having more children. Agreed. Very much agreed. Um, but some of the notes that the doctor wrote that were, um, that were released during trial, so all of her medical records during trial were released, so your people were able to read everything. The note read, Apparently, patient and husband plan to have as many babies as nature will allow. This will surely guarantee future psychotic depression. A little more than a year later, Andrea gave birth to her fifth child, Mary. Less than four months after that, Andrea's father passed away. Oh. The combination of those two sent her spiraling down because she was really, really close to her dad. Well, we know what that's like. Yes. Uh, So the place where she was was called Devereaux Texas Treatment Network in Houston. On the so the third time, the the third suicide attempt, this is whenever she was in the hospital. The reason he the reason why, besides the fact that she tried to commit suicide, Rusty took her because he felt like she wouldn't survive another night at home. So this this time she saw a different psychiatrist. This time her doctor was Dr. Mohammed Saeed. He wrote so she went in in May, you know, April. And even though she wasn't ready to leave, they discharged her. Well, it was probably like a, I mean, no, not I mean, it was probably like a vacation for her. Yeah, 
that. In a way. You know what I mean? Well, I, she Not a vacation, knew, but like a break, you know? Well, a, not just a break, but like she knew that she wasn't going to do well. She knew what was going to happen. And she was trying not to be around them so that she wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm, it just makes me want to cry so bad. Um, so he, Rusty told them that she had, that um, Andrea had been eating or drinking and obviously there's concern about her safety. On one occasion, Andrea's mother-in-law got home and Andrea had filled up the bathtub, but there was no communication about why it was filled up. There was no communication about why it was filled up and what she was doing with water in the bathtub. There was no one taking a bath? No. There was no one in there? Nobody was getting bathed? Nope. Mm. Just a full bathtub. That was it. And no conversation about it, which I think is weird. Like, you, I would think you would want to know. Maybe they um, didn't want to know. Maybe they didn't. And Andrew did tell her doctor many times that she felt that she wasn't a good mother. Um, she she's, was super concerned about her children. Uh, she reported having obsessive thoughts and said most of them, uh, most of her obsessive thoughts were about her children and how they would turn out. Like she was afraid she was ruining them, I guess. And Rusty did tell them, the the staff there, that his wife had become really concerned about caring for their little girl, Mary. And it seemed like um, Andrea never wanted to put her down. Like she had her all the time. So after a few days of Andrea being there, Dr. Saeed sent a letter to a Galveston County judge asking that Andrea be committed to the Austin State Hospital. She was like, this woman needs to be committed. She's really struggling. Not she, him, Dr. Saeed. I mean, are you lost? Am I? No. Okay, good. So, it's, so she should have been committed. So you were right. She, yeah, yeah. Not okay. Uh, another letter was sent addressed to the same judge, but this time this one was signed by a program director. I don't know why that's in there, whether it's because the maybe the first time it wasn't formal enough or maybe they just wanted to be double sure that they didn't have any missing signatures so there wouldn't be any problems. Um so the letter said, the attendant physician for Andrea Yates is recommending continued mental health treatment on an involuntary basis at Austin State Hospital. Please let this letter serve as acceptance of this patient at this facility until arrangements are finalized to transport patient to Austin State Hospital. So a day later, Saeed writes another letter to the judge calling her Amanda instead of Andrea. Really? Yes. Amanda Yates has signed into the hospital voluntarily and would like to discontinue the court proceedings to have her moved to the state hospital. Why would you do that? If you're not going to write it right, get your assistant to write your letters. Or maybe pick up the damn phone. Why do we have to send letters? Why don't you call so and send a letter? Proof. But if you call, can't yeah. you speed that shit up real quick? Yeah. Or how about you just put her in the car and go, hey, and like, we're here. I know that, like, you can't. I don't know what the process is. I'm like, assuming. Well, I know you can't say, like, you can't have any more kids. No. But can't they say, like, medically it is not safe for you to have any more children? This is what they've tried. They said so, it. So, like. Said it earlier. The doctor yeah, said. Yeah, but, like, can't they put, it. like, something in place? Like, I don't the doc- think so. I, mean, <sighs> I think if they could, they would have. But, I mean, ultimately, at this point in time, it's still our choice. And Andrea made a choice. I'm not saying that I'm not justifying any of her decisions. But no. I'm just saying she still had a choice. But she wasn't even in her right mind to be. I don't think she had the choice to have Mary. I don't think that was no, a choice. No, I think you're right. 
But I think I would have just been like, get the hell out. Don't even look at me. Don't even touch me. I, clearly, she was a fertile myrtle and could get pregnant right away. Well, especially if you have one after another, you're it's pretty easy. I mean, think about how many women try and try and try and have mm-hmm. so much trouble. And here she is not even trying. She probably didn't even want him to touch her. I think I'd just be like, can't we just go to sleep? Yeah, right? <laughs> There's some... We- why don't you just go have an affair before we do this can you just have an affair before you do this go give all three of them a bath and then come back and tell me if you want to do this right fair enough fair enough go take all of them to the grocery store and then tell me if you want to do this so at various times throughout her treatment at Devereaux she always wanted to go back home to be with her children but but it's contradictory because there would also be concern about whether or not she was taking her medications right during this time, that's when they're when this is going on. They haven't bought the little house yet. They're living in and that damn. And she's dying home in this tiny, itty bitty living with, space with four kids and a newborn. Oh my God, okay, there's no way. Okay, so the it is noted too that the, the doctors got the impression that Russell Rusty, let's quote, might be a little controlling. Might be. Yeah. Might be. I'd say mm-hmm. it for sure. For sure. For sure. While she's there. In this facility, the psychiatrists are talking to her pretty regularly, and she even tells them she began having nervous, anxious feelings and visions as early as after Noah was born. So that's in 94. So after the first kid, she was already having these visions. So this woman has been fighting that shit off at this point for six years, like after since her first child was born. So she's had like postpartum for six years and it's just gotten worse. Yeah, because in each time every kid. another kid, it just gets compounds worse and worse. And it also, I also read that her father and some of her other siblings also suffered from depression. So this was something that ran in their family. So she was already genetically predisposed to have depression uh-huh. and then postpartum depression. And so even though... Dr. Saeed told Rusty, do not leave Andrea unattended. He began leaving her alone with the children in the weeks leading up to the drownings for short periods of time. Um, and he said it was to improve her independence. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, short periods of time is like, I'm going to go run to the store and get some milk. I'll be right back. Yeah. No, I'm going to go to work. Don't be gone more than 10 or 15 minutes because. I'm going to go to work. Yeah. I'm going to go to work for eight hours. Well, why, why didn't he leave his mom with her? Well, hold on. Um, he announced that he was going to start doing this at a big family gathering the weekend before the drownings. Um, he said, um, I've decided to leave her alone for an hour each morning and evening so that she would not become totally dependent on him and his mother for maternal responsibilities. So his mom was... Okay. Rusty's mom was helping out a lot. In fact, the morning that she did what she did... The mother-in-law was on her way over there to give Andrea a break. So they did help her. Um, well, and if but, she's gonna but do if the doctor's gonna... telling you to not leave her to not leave her alone, then don't do it. Don't decide on your own that well, you're going to go. Well, she could have gotten up in the middle of the night and suffocated all of them in their sleep. That's true. While he was sleeping. That's true. You know, so I, I, I mean, can't argue with that. You're right. If she needs to be watched and she is a danger to herself and her children, then she needs to be somewhere where she's not around her she children. She needed to be in the facility. Yeah. Agreed. And she needed to be because if she if she had it in her mind, when I mean, look at people that kill all the time, if they have it in their mind to do it, they're going to do it with true. or without your presence. That's true. But if she had been in a facility on medications, this would not have happened. Agreed, one hundred percent. Well, he announced this at a family gathering, and Andrea's mother was really upset and shocked. She was saying, "Andrea isn't stable enough to care for her, her own children." 
She said, um, even the other day when I was here, she nearly choked Mary by trying to feed her solid food. And this is, she's not even, she's barely six months old. You can't feed a six-month-old solid food. They can't. They don't know how to chew. She's like, damn, would you just eat this? I don't have to make another bottle. Damn, I don't want to make another bottle. Please eat these chips. Okay, so in June, so there's all that. And then in June 2001, she drowned her children. So all that I read happened between 1999 and 2000. That's a lot of shit to go down. She drowned them in 2001. So now we're at 2002, and we're at her trial. So her, uh, that's the first time I... Her attorney, George Parnum, argued that she was insane, while the prosecution charged that she failed to meet Texas' definition of insanity because she was able to tell right from wrong. And that's true. They were saying because she called 911, she knew she did something wrong, that she was in her right mind. But she's called after the fact, not during. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And the DA of Harris County asked for the death penalty. I don't like that. I don't like it either. I mean, what she did is not okay, but it's not like she did it for greed or vanity or money or she did it because she's crazy. Because her, in her mind, she thought that was the right thing that she needed to do. And it's it's not, it's not like she didn't try, like you said before, it's not like she didn't try and stop it and be like, something's wrong with me. I've had these thoughts. I'm honest with what's going on. Her husband knew, her family, everybody knew. Mm-hmm. So it's Even not her like doctors knew. It's not like it's a surprise. And just because you go in a facility and start taking medication and want to go back home to your children, that doesn't mean that you should. It means that you feel better and you feel like you can, but you shouldn't. It just means you've had a break. And the chaos that you were consumed with, you've had a break from. And but that that's also what she's been used to for the last six years. So to take her out of chaos and put her into calmness, I'm sure that's a little bit she's of probably, culture she, shock. And, and she's she like, probably feels lost and like, yeah, what, like what's where's my, my purpose? purpose? Exactly. Because as a mom, we have to have our purpose, right. right? I need to be needed. As, as hard as it is in the moment when you're like, mom, mom, can you give me this? Mom, can you give me that? Mom, can I have this? Mom, can I have that? You're like, oh my God, would you just leave me alone? And then an hour passes and you're like, do you want a snack? Well, or, or, do you or when they're something? gone, you're like, I already missed them. Like yeah. they go out the door and you're like, I already miss you. Yeah. When are you coming back? Yeah. Home? Like, don't you need me to do something for you? Yeah. So it's just what we're used to. And then you put her there and of course she's better. She's calmer. That depression, the medication's helping. All that's helping. But like you said, just because she wants to go back. Number one doesn't mean she's, she should, or that she's cured or that she's better. It just means that she misses home mm-hmm. and she misses her kids. It just means she loves them. After deliberating for less than four hours, a jury found her guilty and she was convicted of capital murder. But the jury refused the death penalty and she was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 40 years. Initially, she was committed to the North Texas State Hospital in Vernon, Texas, which is a high security mental facility. And interesting note, her roommate at the time when she was there was Dina Schlosser, who was another woman that was in there for killing her infant. Isn't that crazy? Um, and this was a this was a comment from her attorney talking about him getting the call. He said, when I got the call the night of June 20th, I really didn't know anything about postpartum depression. Her case literally sparked an awareness of women's mental health. Newspapers, magazines, and television shows around the world delved into the details of the Yates case. For many readers and viewers, it was the first time they ever heard of postpartum depression. 
In the years that followed, PPD received more coverage and celebrities, including Brooke Shields and Courtney Cox, began to speak out openly about their own experiences with PPD. I have chills. And it, this moved him. So almost as soon as the first Yates trial ended, he began to travel throughout the U.S., speaking out about the need for more resources for women with PPD. So at least there's some silver lining to this that it brought awareness and the women that were suffering from this had some validation and probably felt a little more comfortable coming forward. Like, oh, you know what? I, I have the same thing. Like, I'm, I'm struggling. Help me. You know? Or, oh, that's what's, that's what's wrong. wrong with me. I'm not a bad mom. I'm not. I'm I am. I can be a good mom. It doesn't define me as a person. I'm not a bad person. This yeah. is a sickness that that's this is that this I have. is not me. This is just some. This is a temporary issue that can be solved with meds. You know, and the right doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a woman named Susan O'Malley who um, did a lot of detailed investigation in this story and ended up writing a book. And the name of her book is "Are You There Alone?" And if you remember, that was what the 911 operator ask Andrea, are oh. you there alone? So that's the name of the book. One of the things that she talks about, I didn't read the book, but like I, uh, most of my content came from, I, I got it everywhere. The internet, Murderpedia, Texas Monthly, this book, not this book, but this woman, Susan O'Malley, some of her um, content that's online uh, and newspapers.com. So that's all my sources. But during a call, during a phone call between Dr. Saeed and Rusty, that's when Dr. Saeed found out that Andrew wasn't being supervised full time. He didn't know up until after it happened. He uh-huh. thought that Rusty was doing what he said, and that is, do not leave her alone. So during the trial, Rusty maintained the position that he knew Andrew would be found innocent. He had fantasies of having more children with her, after she was successfully treated in a mental health facility and released on the proper medication. He is so Can dumb. you fucking believe that? I was so pissed. Like, I want to just throw my laptop at the fireplace and be like, oh, my God. That's just... It's selfish. Like, does he not... Is that all... Is that all he saw in her? Is that she could give him babies? Like, I, I don't know. And that might be mean of me. I don't know. I mean... And I feel like... And I don't, I mean, I think God didn't have postpartum depression. I didn't either. Thank you. But, and I was worried about having it because I had them so close together. I was afraid that having them so close and like having a, a six month old and then going through a new pregnancy was going to like spiral me down. Um, but thank God I didn't go through that. But you would think that if you had a really good partner, that would take that would notice your stress and take it from you it would be easier i'm not saying that it would be a a, a fail safe because it still happens it's an illness but so clearly i don't think he was a very good partner when it came to being a dad no i just feel like if he was a good partner then he would have been keen, he would have keen on him and like hey something's not right or let me you know take the kids on a weekend trip and let her have a weekend to herself mm-hmm. and maybe it wouldn't have been so bad or maybe just let her get on the pill for a while and get over it and have a break, not just from taking care of kids, but also being pregnant. I mean, let's consider that her body's going through hell every single time. He worked his way through various fixes in their damaged lives, such as surrogate motherhood and adoption, which horrified her family, attorneys, and all of her psychiatrists before finally giving into reality that that probably wasn't going to happen. 
Um, Wait, so he wanted them to like have a surrogate and have one of their kids or adopt more kids because he felt that pregnancy was the cause of her having depression, which is true. But also having more infants, even though she didn't physically give birth to them. It's still not going to make it go away. It's going to make it go away. It may yeah. not make it worse as far as chemically imbalance goes because she didn't actually have a child. But the stress is still there, so she's still going to have depression. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. We know Lucky him. Um, he, and he did testify that he never knew she had visions or heard voices. He said he, said he never knew she considered killing the children. Um, he also said his wife was too sick to be discharged from her last day at the hospital in May of 2001. He said he noticed the staff lower their heads as if in shame and embarrassment, and they turned and didn't say a word because the hospital had no other choice due to a 10-day psychiatric hospitalization insurance constraints of their provider, which is Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Fuck you, Blue Cross. That's why she left the last time. Well... That, reading that, is what made me want to throw my laptop. That is some bullshit, Blue Cross and Blue Shield. But you know what I will say? Working in healthcare now for 14 years. This was in 2001, by the way. There's no reason why when they discharged her from the hospital that they couldn't have sent her via ambulance to the county hospital. Okay. And then she would, they would have given her at least another three-day psych hold and say she's still not safe. And then that rehospitalization would have prompted a whole other 10-day hold at the other facility. And they could have so just kept doing that cycle. Until she reached her maximum days for the year. So that there are loopholes to every insurance policy. There are so many loopholes, but you have to work the system. And no one there knew how to do it. Or, or cared enough about her safety or her children's safety to say, this woman is not safe to leave. What can I do? Because if you call the insurance and say... She is walking out of my hospital, and she is still a danger to herself and her children. They're going to say, then she needs to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. That's where you take her. Because the hospital, once they, once she's there and she says, I have visions of killing my kids, you're on a 72-hour cycle, whether you like it or not. We cannot legally let you leave. Hi, Blue Cross. Your patient's back in the hospital. She threatened to kill her kids again. Oh, I get 10 days authorization? Thanks. It's that easy. But if you don't fight for your patient, it's not going to happen. They didn't fight for her. Nobody fought for her. She fought for herself. And I hate I hate the way that it happened. I hate that, it, I hate that her babies had to go like that. But I also am a little relieved that she was free of the demons. Now she has to live with that the rest of her life. Yeah. But she was fighting demons with them or without them. That's true. She's You're absolutely right. She has to pick the lesser of two, I guess. Yeah. So um, Rusty and his family also claimed that the combination of the antidepressants that she was given was improperly prescribed by Dr. Saeed in the days before the drownings, and that was what caused her psychotic behavior. Why did they say they were? Because she was on, I'm glad you asked, that's a great segue. She was on 450 milligrams of Effexor. Mm-hmm. Um, among other medications. And in his opinion, this Rusty, who isn't a doctor. That's what now, I say. He was a NASA engineer, so he is a really smart guy. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that he understands. about medicine. Right. Um, he says that she was severely over-medicated and that one of the common side effects of being over-medicated from that drug is homicidal ideation. And that was added to the warning label. And... That falls into what she did. So I think 
that um, that's I could why he did that. I could agree with that if she didn't have homicidal ideation before she took the medication. And that's exactly and, the same. That's exactly what the next sentence says. She, but and also besides the fact that she was thinking about it before, they did also give her this drug back in 1999 when she first attempted suicide, and it worked well, but it was at a much lower dose. Well, I will say, just like with pain medication, mm-hmm. when you go into the hospital or when you've hurt yourself, they have to give you a high dose to bring you to normal so that they can titrate you down to a normal level. But because your pain is so high, a normal level isn't well, going to do anything for yeah. you. So if she's severely depressed, they're going to give her a more high dose until her chemicals level out and then they'll put her on a more normal dose. Well, I think this is just him trying to put the blame away, point the blame away from himself and not taking any responsibility for everything that had been done to her or not done Mm -hmm. for her up until now. Yeah. And so when she was in prison, she admitted to the psychiatrist there that she had considered killing her kids for two years before she actually did it because she thought she was not a good mother. She thought her kids were developing improperly. She told the psychiatrist, and this is in quotes, it was the seventh deadly sin. My children weren't righteous. They stumbled because I was evil. The way I was raising them, they could never be saved. They were doomed to perish in the fires of hell. I'm sorry, that chokes me up that a mother would think that about their... She was a good mom. But she didn't think that. She That wasn't her. That was her that sick was... brain. That was the that was the sickness talking not her. Yep, fair enough. Um, and another thing about this that's really good and sad is that during the time that she was in prison before she got moved, Rusty started getting letters from all these women that were also suffering from postpartum depression, explaining to him how much of a struggle it was for them every day, for them and their family and their husband, and how. They they were telling him that Andrea basically just lost herself. Yeah. And that he wasn't helping her by... Because the other thing, I thought I had it written in here, but he also had her homeschooling the children. Yeah. I mean, so I was going to say... they didn't like, even leave like the, the first three boys that were old enough for school. They didn't even get to go to school. So she had to struggle with postpartum psychosis. She um, homeschooled them. And then Mary was the baby. So she had to take school the boys, fight your demons, do keep, you know, do everything. Take care of the house. I mean, I know her mother-in-law came and she did have help, but I mean, but you lose getting yourself. relieved by, by the um, duties of being a mom doesn't relieve your demons. It doesn't get rid of any of that shit that you're going through mentally. Well, and you lose, you, it's hard enough not to lose yourself whenever you, like I was, you know, I was lucky enough after Jack to stay home for like, what, three or four months, Mm -hmm. I was able to work from home and I was able to be home with him. Their dad was a great dad when they were babies. Like he took care of them. He bathed them. He he was great. So, I mean, I had help and I had you guys and I worked, but being in that house, just me and Jack all day, just me and him. And then, you know, Russell would go to work and then come home and like you, you lose your identity. I'm not, I'm like, I felt like even though I had a purpose sitting in front of me that needed me 24 mm-hmm. seven, I felt like who I was, was gone. You know, like I wasn't getting up going to work anymore. Like mm-hmm. 
because I was working from home and I was at home all day and then I was tired and your, your schedule's off and your body's weird and your hormones are going back to the way they were and you're just this different person that you have to like find yourself all over again. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine doing that four or five times and trying to find yourself again just to lose yourself again. Mm-hmm. And then this next person is depending on you 24-7. Additional to the other ones, you know? And people that have one or two kids will lose themselves and let themselves go and get depressed because they just, they throw themselves into their children and they forget about themselves. Yeah. And that's exactly what she did. She just got lost. And in, and also in getting lost, her brain was just fucked up. So she couldn't even, even if she wanted to find herself, I don't even know if she would know how to begin to do that. Yeah. Right. So in 2004, Rusty filed for divorce stating that, He and Andrea had not lived together as a married couple since the day of the murders. Oh, let me guess. Hold on. Because he needs to have more children, The divorce was granted on March 17th of 2005. Pause on that question. I'll have an answer for you in a minute. So also in 2004, the Yates house is put up for sale. So, and I had to Google this. So a guy by the name of Peter Muller bought their house. Which had, of course, become a neighborhood attraction. Now, if we lived close enough, we would definitely go drive by there. And maybe if we make it to Houston again, when we go, when we go, we don't, did we go through, we did go through Houston when we went to the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe we'll, am I boring you? No. He, and he's been living there ever since. Um, and he had no reservations about living in a house where kids had died. He said, I don't really care about the home's history. I don't think about it. It doesn't bother me. He only paid $87,000 for the house. Oh, my gosh. Um, he said it's in, a, it's in a good location, plus it's got a great layout. There's a living area, combined dining area. Um, the house is only 1,620 square feet, and he lives up there alone with his dog. He said he has no plans to sell the house. Well, I mean, I'm not saying I would run to a house like that, but given the way that the children were taken and why they were taken and because they were so young and it wasn't, I don't believe it was violent. It wasn't violent, but I will tell you that um, the older son, Noah was the last one that she drowned. That's why he was still in the bathtub and he ran from her. That's why there were two sets of footprints on the tile because he saw her drowning Mary. So he took off running. So she had to go chase him and bring him back in. So that is tragic. That's tragic. The other the other four didn't see it coming and probably went somewhat peaceful. I mean, I don't know. I say peacefully, I, believe, I want to believe that. Well, but I think Noah's was tragic because he knew what was happening and he was seven. I know. I know. Sad. So, okay. 2005. This is what, one of the things I love about Texas. The appeals court reverses the conviction and granted Andrea a new trial after they found out that one of the prosecution witnesses, Dr. Park Dietz, he's a forensic psychiatrist. He gave this erroneous testimony that had a major influence on the jury. And you may remember this from one of the documentaries. So his testimony was that Andrew was a big fan of Law and Order. Yes. And she watched. He said that she watched an episode and that basically the way she the way the drownings played out was exactly what was the, that episode was about. But they later found out that he was wrong and that he combined two episodes. 
Mm-hmm. I so don't remember that. it was bullshit. So on July 26th of 2006, a jury found Andrea not guilty by reason of insanity. Good. Good job, Texas. Good job. Good job. Yes. Finally did something right. Okay. March 25th, 2006, Rusty marries his second wife. Shut up. Laura Shut the front door. Arnold. A.K.A. Baby Maker number two. And they later had one son. So January of 2007... Andrea has moved to Kerrville State Hospital, which is a low-security state mental hospital. I don't think she would hurt anybody. Uh, most of the patients there spend an average of like 1,200 days, but she will likely be there the rest of her life. She spends her days watching videos of her, her children smiling and laughing. I don't know why that took me up. She walks around the garden and does her best to avoid others. Rusty calls his ex-wife once a month and visits her once per year to maintain a cordial relationship, which I think is very admirable. He doesn't have to. Their kids are passed he away. He probably has guilt, as he should. Probably. That uh, she's and, there partly because of him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in 2015, Laura files for divorce from Rusty. Good. So at this point, it didn't say anything else about him. Today, Noah would, Noah would be 26. I think this is getting me because they're my kids' ages. John would be 25, Paul would be 23, Luke would be 21, and Mary would be 20. So I feel really sorry for Andrea Yates. I do too. She she screamed for help, and help wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So if there are any mothers out there that are struggling, if you're asking for help and they're not helping you, call us. Absolutely. Give us a message. Drop us a message. We will we will help you however we can. Because the thing is, is that, I mean, she... It just takes that one person that's willing yeah. to fight, like you said. Yeah. I mean, if the thing is, is that she, like I said, like she has to fight demons with or without her kids. She was going to have to fight them. And in her brain, she had determined that, and who knows what he was telling her. He probably was contributing to some of that. Oh, so you were at home all day and this is all you got done? And she's like, damn, I can't do anything right. I'm sure. I, I just. Yeah. I mean. He, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sh- it probably wasn't to the point where it was super abusive, but I'm sure he was probably condescending. Well, I don't think that he ever was gone for full eight hours a day because mostly what I read, he, he was a NASA engineer, so he could work from home. So he did a lot of working from home. He was there more than he wasn't. So I, I don't really know how supportive or helpful he was when he was there. But him being there all the time and seeing what happens makes me, it confuses me as to why he ever thought it was safe to leave her alone with him, even if for an, for an hour during the, in the morning and at night. I don't, and so he said he didn't know that she had the visions or thought about killing them. She tried to kill herself multiple times. So is that not enough of a cry for help? Like, you I can't think he, naturally think that, well, if she would kill herself, what, what would make her not want to kill the kids? I mean, that's just, you just assume the worst at that point, right? And you just want, you want them, you want her to get help. And if that facility won't keep you, then you find another one. Like, you don't give up. You don't just go home. But, like, I think we're just a different breed of people. Like, we don't give up. Like, we, we are right. the kind of people that, like, if there's a roadblock, we don't just, like, settle on, like, no. Yeah, like, we're like, yeah, okay, well, is there a ladder? Is there a bridge? Can, speak to your can I dig underneath it? Can I go around it? Can I jump high enough? Like, I will go right. every route until I can get around this roadblock. Yeah. 
And some people are just fine with settling with this is just this is how it's going to be. And I feel bad for her because I felt like she was completely helpless. Like, I agree. There was no one to say, well, what about Andrea? Like, it's difficult being a mom. Mm-hmm. Being a mom is difficult, whether you have one or five kids or eight kids or ten kids. It's difficult because it be, being a mom isn't like just being a mom, right? You're a mom. You're a chef. You're a nurse. You're a doctor. You're a counselor. You're a teacher. I mean, you are all these people into one for your kids. And when you have so many kids, I mean, mom had four by the time she was 25, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how no one was like, I need to stand up for her because no, she can't stand up for herself. Like, she's so sick. Like, she was helpless she was struggling. in her disease. And no one stood up and said, I I will be that person for her I because she can't be there for herself, you know? Yeah. And I know there was some rumors about one of the evangelists that they – that remember what his name is that john something mm-hmm. some weird name. he would like they would go to those um, yeah. revivals all the time yeah. but they they said that she was heavily influenced by his word but i don't really believe that she was a devout christian before she met him mm-hmm. and she read the bible to her kids so i don't believe that whatever she read of his had anything to do with what she did what she, she never did said that was... she killed them be- or drowned them because they were going to go to hell or I mean, she was afraid of that because of her actions, yeah. not because of their actions, you know? So she was worried they were going to pay for her sins. And yeah. She didn't want that for them. Yeah. She would rather take their life and have them be in heaven than risk them having to she pay for She was a mother. Yeah. She wanted to take. She made the ultras, ultimate, ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. She wanted to take as much pain away from her kids as she could, even if it meant that she lived the rest of her life in pain. If it meant that her kids didn't suffer, that's what that meant. So that's my story. That's the story of Andrea Yates. It's so sad. It's sad because, like you said, she cried out for help. It would be different if she had those thoughts forever and didn't tell anyone, kept it inside, and just all of a sudden one day snapped. But she didn't want it to happen. And she could feel it was going to happen. She told him. She told all of them. And I don't know that I believe. I know there's patient-doctor confidentiality. So is it possible that... Rusty wouldn't know what the doctors told her. And maybe if that's why the doctors told, said, just if she don't let her have any more kids because there will be more psycho uh, psychosis. When she went to the doctor, if she told them, you cannot tell my husband, they cannot tell him. Okay. Now, so it's probably now, true that he I don't know really when know. HIPAA started. Because that was, 2001 I think was before HIPAA. But I don't know for sure. Okay. But I know that whenever HIPAA started... It was extremely, extremely strict on who can get your information and who can't. So if she if she told him you can't share this with my husband, he couldn't. The only time a doctor can break that is if the patient is a threat to themselves or someone else. Like when and I worked, clearly this case she was right. Now when I say they can break privilege, that means they don't go run and tell her family. But he can call the authorities and say she is a danger to herself and others. And I can release the fact that she told me she wanted to kill herself. And I can release and say that she's had psychosis, postpartum psychosis, because it is involved in how she's a threat to herself and others. Right. I can't tell you when her last menstrual cycle was right. or what her lab work is, but I can tell you that what, what relates to how she's a danger to herself and others. I can tell you that. And another strange... A strange coincidence in this is, so I'm researching this story all this week, 
and I don't know if it was Tuesday night or Wednesday night, a story broke of a mom that killed her kids. Yeah, was it like a six-month-old? Mm-hmm. And Alan, I think. It's a lot of crazy shit happened in the news this week. Yeah. So even though this, it's, what, 20 years later, mm-hmm. it's not like it's gone away. Not that I would expect it to go away, but you just don't. Well, and I, like, even, it, like, Jack and Kelly are 9 and 10, but even when I left the hospital, like, they gave me a thorough screening before I could even yeah. leave the hospital, especially after I had Callie. Like, See, not they, for me, because Savannah was born in 95, and that was around the same time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they were like... They are like, you, you know what you're doing? They just, basically, all they did, I think, for me was check to make sure I had a car seat. They weren't... What's weird is it's like, it's like they flip-flopped. They went from, like, you got what you need to take care of your kid to... Are you safe to take this child home? Like they, and they made sure I had a car seat. That was it. But they asked, they talked to me alone and they talked to Russell alone. They were like, is she okay? Is she exhibiting this? Is she exhibiting that? That's good. And they gave him a pamphlet and they're like, if she starts acting like this, if she starts sleeping a lot, if she becomes distant with the kids, you know, if she's, if she becomes different, you need to call her OB like right away and tell them that she's acting like this because she maybe have postpartum depression. And that was in, 2010 2011 so things have gotten better but also that depends on the healthcare worker are they busy are they swamped do they have time to go over that with you are they going to go over that with you well and if you know how to answer the questions if you if you don't want the bullshit and you just want to get home Mm -hmm. if you if you know what to say then it's not like you well and then you can still get away with it is what i'm saying if you are a single mom and you go home and you don't have a partner Mm -hmm. And you put a face on in front of your family, nobody's going to know that your baby may lay in a dirty diaper for eight hours yeah. or lay there crying hungry, but you just physically can't get up to feed them. Nobody's going to know that but you and the baby. Yeah. So it's, it's really a real sad. thing. It's real sad. It's so, real so rest in peace, Noah, John, Paul, Luke, and Mary. And I Super hope you sad. have peace, Andrea Yates. I hope you don't, Rusty Nail. Rusty, I hope you... What, what is it from? <laughs> I hope you die, Garnaria. Yeah, and ride in hell. <laughs> okay. Is that a wrap? It's a wrap. All right. All right. Thank you. We love you guys. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.